As we begin today, I'm going to retell a story that I told on Christmas Sunday last year. So if you were here then, don't think, oh man, he's only been lead pastor for three weeks and he's already reusing the stories. That's not the case, okay? Um, this pertains to what we're talking about today, and some of you weren't there, so I want to share this again. When Christmas would happen in our home, probably very much like for you growing up, uh, there were two other brothers in my house, there were two younger brothers, and so Christmas morning, we would jump up early, we would run to the living room where the Christmas tree was, and we'd start handling the packages, right? I mean, everybody does that. And so we start grabbing packages, and we'd find the soft ones, and we squeeze them. We were like, hey, this is, these are socks, and this is underwear, because every year we got socks and underwear, and then we got those out of the way real quick. But then we'd look at the boxes. You know, the boxes always had the, the important presents in them. And so we'd pick them up and try to weigh them. You know, this is like three pounds or ten pounds or whatever it may have been. We'd start shaking it because maybe there's some noise in there that gives it away. And then sometimes we'd find that accidental tear, you know, that one that's in the box. It's like, oh, where'd that come from? And you'd peel it back a little bit. Hope you see a color of a letter or a little picture there that would give it away. I mean, anything, because you want to know what the Christmas presents were. And so every, so every Christmas morning, we'd run down to our living room, and we'd try to figure out what the presents were before Mom and Dad would come. Well, finally, uh, with all of the excitement happening around the Christmas tree with the adrenaline and testosterone that was flowing from three boys, Mom and Dad would finally walk into the living room, and they would see us there, and, and they'd walk over to uh, the couch, and they'd sit down groggily, and they'd look at us like, hey, guys, glad it's Christmas, but we're going to read the Christmas story. Three boys, full of excitement, salivating for those Christmas presents. That was like torture. It was like the worst thing anyone could have said to us. And, and so we started negotiating with our parents. All right, here's the deal, Mom and Dad. Um, if you guys don't read the Christmas story this year, here's what we'll do. We'll clean the whole house. We'll open presents, and then we'll clean the whole house for you. How's that sound? No, we're going to read the Christmas story first. Okay, that didn't work. Um, uh, here's another idea. Next year... Next year, we'll let you read it twice. You can read it back to back before we open presents. Just don't do it this year so we can open presents this year. No, we're not going to do that. So we would negotiate back and forth over a period of time. And it was kind of funny because I think we finally realized we were wasting a lot of time. It's like, man, we could have already opened the presents if we just shut our mouths and let them read the story. And so finally, Mom and Dad would look at us and say, hey, guys, come over here. We're going to read the Christmas story. And then we'll open our presents. This morning as we begin, I want to read the Christmas story with us. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. If you don't have it, it'll be up here on the screens. And I know some of you are like, dude, this is like not Christmas. 120 days till Christmas, so it's close enough, right? Start shopping now. Here we go. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and a baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. As I read that story and as I think about it, I hardly remember the gifts that we received on this Christmas morning. But what I do remember was the time that we took to read the Christmas story. Looking back on it, and especially as a parent now, I understand exactly what my parents were trying to do. They were trying to remind us Christmas is fun, Christmas is a, is a good time, it's a time for us to be together, it's important. But the real focus of Christmas needs to be the beginning of Jesus Christ. Guess what we do? We have three kids every Christmas morning. Thankfully, they don't know how to negotiate, so that's a good thing, and uh, we just go ahead and do it. But, but anyway, it's a reminder of what the Christmas story is about and why we celebrate Christmas. It's the, beginning, it's the beginning of Jesus Christ. Today, we continue this series called Beginnings, and over the past four weeks, we've been looking at these different beginnings that we find in the Bible. And, and over the course of the series, it's going to be a five-week series. We'll finish up next week. But, but what we find, if you look in Scripture, there is this, this element of all these beginnings that are connected to each other. And so in these beginnings, we find, and the very first one we talked about was the beginning of, of creation. That when God created the world, that creation story is all about the relationship that God wanted with humanity. And so God created us. We were the perfect creation for God, and we were created to be in this relationship with God. The next week, we talked about the beginning of chaos. And with the beginning of chaos, we, we find that Adam and Eve had a choice. They could be obedient to God, or they could rebel against God, and they decided to rebel against God which introduced our whole world to chaos. And so that beginning of creation moved us to chaos. And then last week, Adam talked about the beginnings of community. And God said, I want to redeem humanity from this chaos. And so he picks this man, Abraham, and says, Abraham, you're my guy. I'm going to bless you. In fact, all of humanity will be blessed because of you. And so God starts this new community of people, the Jewish people with Abraham, which leads us to where we are today. The beginnings of Jesus Christ, the, the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham many, many years before. And so today I want to focus on this beginnings of Christ and, and this importance to us of the story that we, we find ourselves a part of. In fact, if we go back and we look at this passage in Luke, it's a, uh, it's a very interesting passage. When you think about it for a moment, if you're going to do a screenplay, you're going to write a movie, you're going to produce a movie... This is the kind of story you want to tell. It's scandalous. There's plot twists. I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. But I think if you and I were God, which we're not, of course, which is good. But if we were, I really don't believe this is the same story we'd have chosen to write. Because there's so much in here that we would have left out, that we would have done differently because of the way that we think and the way that we respond, the way that we act. And, and God has a, a plan here. But it, again, it's, it's kind of an interesting story if you think about it. Now, the first thing that we find here is that Jesus was born into a political climate. 
the very beginning here in verse 1, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Um, about 17 years after Etu Brute, we find that Caesar Augustus becomes the emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, there were some battles that took place there, if you know a little bit about your history. Uh, he was actually the uh, great nephew of Julius Caesar, who adopted him as his son. But to get to that point of ruling, he had to go through some battles. But Augustus ended up ruling from 27 BCE through 14, B, or 14 CE. And uh, at the beginning, it was a pretty, pretty rough ruler, but, but very intelligent. And over time, became very, very benevolent. He was a military leader. Uh, he knew how to build institutions. He knew everything uh, that you need to know about lawmaking. And so he really was uh, the beginning point for the 200 years of Roman peace that we find, that we talk about in our history books. He was, a, he was a pretty important person at this time period. But if you notice the story, if you notice Julie, or Caesar Augustus, you notice one thing. There's not really much more of a connection between him being in power and the birth of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of political stuff happening, but we don't really have a connection here between these two events. Not only is Jesus born into this political climate, we also find he is born into an economic climate. What's going on at the beginning of our story? We find there's a census that has been uh, issued that they have got to go to their homelands, their hometowns, to be counted. Now, when we think about a census, we think about we're just trying to figure out the population of the United States, right? And so we get everybody together, we count everybody up, like, hey, that's how many people live in the United States, how many people live in a state, how many people live in a county, in a town, in a city. And so at the end, we're like, hey, we got 300 and some odd million people who live in the United States. That's great. Woo, high five to everybody. Not the purpose here. They wanted to know how many people were, were populated in specific areas so then they could come back and like, hey, guess what? This is what taxes you owe. This was all about money. This census was all about money and about funding the Roman government. So not only is Jesus born into this political climate, but he's also born into this economic climate. But there's another part to this economic climate. It has to do with Mary and Joseph. Mary is a peasant. Joseph is a carpenter which meant they were very poor. Uh, a little bit later on, we find that they go to the temple and they have to purchase the lowest of the low of animals for their sacrifices to God. They can't afford anything really nice. We know that they're very, very poor. And this is the life that Jesus is born into. Now, they're not only poor, they're teenagers. Mary's probably a young teenager. Joseph may have been 20 or a little bit older. More than likely, he was a teenager too. So they're, they're poor, and they're teenagers, they're not married, they're pledged to be married. And by the way, one other issue, she is pregnant. In that culture, that was so taboo. I mean, there are things that people could do to her, and they could kill her if they wanted to because of what happened here. But, but thankfully, God's story doesn't play out that way. But, but this is the life that Jesus is born into. This poor, unwed, teenage couple that have to travel for the census. Again, there's this economic climate that we, that we see here in our story. Now, now think for a minute. They, they have to travel for the census, right? Uh, it was from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That was about a 90 to 100-mile trip. It would have taken them 8 to 10 days to make this trip. If some of you traveled down to go see the totality of the eclipse this week, that was kind of how long it took you to get back home, right? I mean, it took you like 8 to 10 days from everybody I've talked to. Um, it took them a long time, and they walked. They didn't have cars, bicycles, none of that fun stuff. 
They walked. She may have ridden a donkey. They may have had a wagon that they put her in and some sort of animal pulled them along. But this would have been a long trip. And by the way, Mary is very pregnant. Did you catch that? Like she's eight months pregnant. She's ready to give birth at any time. Ladies, if you've been pregnant before, when you hit that eight-month check mark, what does the doctor tell you to do? Stay home. Don't do jack. You can watch all the TV you want, eat all the snacks. We don't care. Just relax, chill out, do nothing, hang out. Say, don't go on trips, right? Don't take a trip. Do not get on an airplane. Do not ride a donkey. Whatever you do, do not travel anywhere. That's what they tell you to do. And what's Mary got to do? She's eight months pregnant, and we got to go to Bethlehem for this government census to take place. Now, guys, if you've ever been around a woman who's been pregnant, you know when you travel, you got to stop like every five, ten minutes because they got to use the bathroom all the time because that baby's pushing on the bladder. So they were probably the last people to show up in Bethlehem, okay? It took them a long time to get to this place, but that's where they were called to be. Now, when they arrive in Bethlehem, this place is pumping, right? It's, it's thump. There's so many people there. It was like all these huge family reunions taking place in Bethlehem. And so when they get there, there's nowhere to stay. More than likely, they're one of the last ones there. So trying to find a place is really hard. It wasn't like a week before Joseph wakes up and like, hey, honey, I got on a kayak last night. And I got a sweet place. Uh, we're going to be staying at Shea, Bethlehem. And let me tell you, it's got a pool. It's got continental breakfast, four and a half stars. This is going to be a perfect time for us. We're going to have a great time in Bethlehem. No, they, they couldn't do that. And they couldn't show up and say, hey, we got a couple hundred extra denarii here. We'll, we'll give you a little extra money if you let us stay in your place. You know, she's really pregnant. We need a place. They didn't have money to do that. Again, they, they were poor. But this is where Jesus was born. This is how Jesus came into existence. They didn't have a place to stay. They show up. Somebody says, we got a stable. Now, that may have been a cave. Uh, as they have done more archaeological finds, they have found that about that time period, homes were built with a living area and then right beside it attached to it was a actually an animal pen and so you would have the place where you would live and then your animals would be brought into this pen at night some people think that maybe since they started to find these maybe that's the place where jesus was born but that make any difference he's born in a stable he's born around animals it stinks and what do they do with him they wrap him in some cloth and they basically lie him and lay him down in a feeding trough to rest and to sleep This is how Jesus came into existence. This is the beginning of Jesus Christ as a human being. But this is also the beginnings of redemption, of chaos. This is also the beginnings, I believe, of the transformation and change that happens in your life and my life every single day. It began here with the birth of Christ. Again, we look at the story. This is not the story that we would have written. I think we would have written a very different story I think for us, see, we think about things in big ways, right? We think about big things. So we think about the big job, the big promotion, the big home, the, the big vacation. We, we think about everything big. We, we love celebrity status. We put things on Facebook or whatever your vice for is for social media. You put that out there. You want people to like it. Why? Because we love to be noticed. We love the big things. Again, think about this story right here. First off, we have Caesar Augustus, who is the ruler. If we're going to bring Jesus Christ into existence in this world, I think we're going to choose somebody like the ruler for Jesus to come from, that family, right? We're going to pick somebody big. 
maybe because of the promise God made to Abraham, we would choose one of the key Jewish rulers at that time or the key Jewish religious leaders at that time. Why? They're connected. They know people. They're networked. And if you have Jesus born to one of these individuals, what can they do? Oh, they can do a lot of stuff. They can put together a big marketing plan. I mean, a really, really big marketing plan. And they can have a big announcement. They can have a big parade and big events. And hey, guess what? The Son of God has been born. It's been born in our family. Look at this. And everybody would know very quickly. This is the story you and I would have written. Because it's a story we live out in our own life. Our kids are born. What do we do? Today you go on Pinterest, right? They're like, hey, this looks pretty cool. I think I can make this. And so you grab all the materials that you think you can make. And you look at the picture. And you follow the directions. And you make it. And you're like, wow, that looks totally not like what that picture looks like. And so you throw that away. And then you go to the store. And you buy announcements that way. But you get announcements. And then you send them out. You make sure they're pretty and they're nice. You send them out to everybody you know. You put a video up on Facebook. You put something up on Instagram. I mean, you want as many people to know as quickly as possible that you just had a child, right? We like to go big. We like to do big things. That's not what God did here with, with Jesus. God didn't start big with Jesus. God started small. Go back to our story again. We have this poor, unwed, pregnant teenage couple. Jesus is, is born in a stable in a very busy time in a busy place where nobody's really going to notice another kid being born or crying there in that area. It's a political time. The, the census is, is happening. Jesus is, or God's marketing plan is absolutely horrendous. I mean, think about it. What's his marketing plan? Shepherds. Nobody liked shepherds. They were outcasts. Guess what? They smelled like sheep. They basically lived with the sheep. I mean, this is who they were. And God's like, man, i got a great marketing plan here to let people know that Jesus has been born. Shepherds. I'm sure everybody in heaven's like, well, you're God, you can do whatever you want. I don't think it's a good idea. But, but so God makes the shepherds be the marketing plan for getting this information out. He doesn't choose a ruler. He doesn't choose a leader. He doesn't choose people who are networked. He, he chooses the shepherds to get the word out about the Jesus, his son, being born. God starts small. And I think too many times we forget about the power of the small. You go back to the creation story. There's nothing. What's God do? God creates something. You, you look at the story of, of chaos, the beginnings of chaos. Uh, Adam and Eve, what'd they do? They took a bite out of a piece of fruit. You, you think about our own stories. Where do we begin? We began microscopically. You think about a flower. Where does the flower begin? It begins with a seed. Now think about business and, and the business world a little bit. Think about Facebook. Facebook began as a way to connect Harvard students. Now, the purpose was not very noble when they first began that company. It's changed quite a bit, thankfully, over time. But it began small. YouTube began as a couple of guys, three guys who got together and said, hey, we want to share videos online. They worked for PayPal. They rented a, a place above a pizza parlor, and they started to put this, this website together. Now, I mean, right now, you might be watching YouTube during my sermon because you're like, I don't want to listen to this today. That's fine. But you can watch millions and millions of videos on YouTube because a few people got together and started this, this small company. And now it's huge. We forget about the power of small things. Think about the history of the college that you went to, the hometown that you grew up in, the company that you work with. Think about the government that we have now. Think about this church. All of these things started small. They started small. 
And yet here is God who could have started everything big with Jesus, but he didn't. He started small. And sometimes the best things in life start small. Because if we look at the story, Jesus' birth is a small event. In that time period, it was, honestly, it was an insignificant event. People wouldn't have really noticed that this, this kid had been born. But what we know is that because of this small event, there was a big outcome. We know there's that redemption for chaos. We know that that relationship with God has been repaired. We, we know and understand that the transformation and change that can take place in our lives began right here with this, this small event because small things make a big difference. William Faulkner once wrote, the man who removes a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. And our transformation, our change in life to becoming who God has created us to be starts small. Very rarely does there this moment where there's a, this epiphany for us or there's this God explosion or as some of my friends like to call it, a God smack that takes place that, that just is so huge and big. You're like, wow, I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I've been transformed in this one moment. Now what we find is it happens over time, that it's the small things that make a big difference. And our transformation, our change begins with small events taking place in our life. Uh, our family actually lived up here in Northern Virginia from 2005 to 2010. I was called from the job that I have up in New Jersey to come here and to launch a third campus for a multi-site church out in Haymarket. The church is New Life Christian Church, which, kind of a side note, was birthed out of the Journey Church. So Brett Andrews was here on staff, uh, wanted to go plant a church, and had some families wanted to do that. And so this church blessed them, said, hey, go do that. They started New Life Christian Church and then started becoming a multi-site church. And so, again, I was brought in to lead and launch their third campus out in Haymarket. Well, if you plant a church, if you start a church, one of the things you really want that first Sunday is critical mass. You need as many people as you can to show up that first Sunday because that, you know, projects for success later on in the church's life. Um, we sent out about 75,000 postcards. That's one of the ways you market. You do big marketing, right? I mean, we're talking about how God works in the small things. We think big, so we did this big marketing plan, and we, we sent out all these postcards. Well, that first Sunday of our launch day, it was in March of 2006, a, uh, a young lady showed up, and her name was, was Debbie. And Debbie came that morning, and she sat all the way in the back. If you've ever been to Battlefield High School, that's where we met. Uh, she was all the way in the back, and it was really hard to see her because it was a really, really big auditorium. But she showed up that day, and she sat down, and it was kind of hard not to see Debbie because she was very, very pregnant. In fact, she was about eight months pregnant. Some of the people from our launch team uh, took the time to go talk to Debbie and get to know her a little bit. And, and through discussing with her, through talking to her, they found out that she grew up Catholic. Um, for her, church was just an obligation, something that she did because she was just supposed to. She says she went to, to church on Christmas and Easter, and that was it. And, and she really hadn't been since she was a teenager. But she's like, hey, I got this postcard. I thought I'd come check you guys out. Well, our team said, hey, Debbie, um, we can tell you're pregnant, and so we want to we do something for you. When your baby's born, uh, we'd like to start bringing you meals for a couple of weeks just to kind of help you guys out. She said, hey, that sounds good. They exchanged numbers and information, and a couple of weeks later, or actually about a month later, Debbie had her, had her baby. Our team called, I'm like, hey, you know, it's due date time. Did you have the child? Yep, we had it. Hey, we want to start bringing you meals. And so they started taking her and her husband and their other child dinners for two weeks. 
Well, after that was over with, we didn't see Debbie for a couple of months, but then she finally showed up again. And that first Sunday she came back. She didn't sit all the way in the back. She actually came up and sat where everybody else was. But she wasn't, she wasn't happy enough just to, to be in the service. She's like, I want to get involved. I was like, sure, what would you like to do? I really liked it when you guys brought us that food. Can I, can I be a part of that meal team? I'm like, sure, not a problem. And so she started being a part of this meal team and taking it to people's families when they were sick or someone had passed away or someone had given birth to a child. And she's like, I, you know, I want to do a little bit more. What else can I do? And she said, we said, hey, you want to assist in our, our children's ministry? She's like, that'd be great. So she started working in our children's ministry. And then we said, hey, you're really good at this. Why don't we get you in another role? And so she began to lead one of our classes. And she's like, I really want to grow in my faith. And so we're like, hey, we got a women's Bible study. Do you want to jump in there? She's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And she jumped in that Bible study. And then not too long after that, my wife, Kara, actually baptized Debbie. She's like, this is who I am. This is, I want to be all into this. I want to I make sure that this is the life that I'm living. And, and so she jumps in. She's being transformed. She's being changed. But sometimes we get to that point where we get baptized and we're like, I'm done. I'm finished. Debbie said, ah, I got more to do. She's like, how else can I be involved? Can I, can I help with the food program you guys have? Yep, you can help with that. And then we said, hey, we really think you're a leader. Would you like to apprentice in our women's group? Yeah, I'd love to do that. So she began to apprentice. Then we said a few months later, we want you to lead the group. And she started leading the group. Now, she's not doing all these things at the same time, by the way. Okay, she doesn't have that much time. But, but she begins to just grow in her faith. And then one day she comes to us and says, I got something I want to do that's not connected to the church. And we're like, well, what is that? I want to I get this group together that's going to pray at my kids' school. We got a few Christian parents there. I like to bring us together once a week and, and just pray for the staff and the kids and the school and all the people who work there. She's like, you think I can do that? Is that okay? I'm like, yes, that's okay. Go do it. Make it happen. And so she started this prayer team at the elementary school the kids are a part of. Debbie continues to work in the community and at the church she's involved with now out there in Haymarket. But you know what? Here's what's so funny about it. It wasn't some big moment that changed her life and began to transform her, transform her and change her into who she is today. It started with some food. A few people were like, we're going to bring you some food. A small, a small thing began this transformation and change in Debbie's life. And now she is impacting other people's lives because of something a few people did for her at the very beginning of her transformation in her life. When I think about the story of, of Debbie, I think about the future of this church. When I think about the success of this church, when I think about this church doing what we're called to do, I believe it's all about the transformation of lives. And that's what we are called to do. That is why we exist, to help people take those steps to help move one stone at a time in people's lives, to get us to a place where we fully see God at work in our lives. And it usually doesn't happen with some big moment. It's the small things that add up over time to transform us and change us into who God wants us to be. I know that's true because I see that in my own life. That it's the small things that God has done that has gotten me to the place where I am today. But in this process, it's not a process that ends either. It doesn't end in our lifetime. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes these words. 
in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you notice what he says here? He who began a good work in you. There was a beginning point. There was a starting point. And for each one of us to be transformed, to become who God wants us to be, there's a beginning place. And one of the beginning places is here with the story of Jesus Christ, of his birth taking place. But there's something else that's happened in your life at some point in time. A note, an invitation to church, an email, a hug, a conversation on the phone, whatever it may have been for you. There's something that began this transformation and this change that has taken place in your life. There's a beginning point. But do you also notice what Paul says at the end? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's no point where you finally are done. That transformation doesn't all of a sudden end. It'll end the day you die when you see Jesus for the first time face to face. This is a continual process that takes place. This transformation, this change in our lives. Because you know what? God has a dream for us. And God has a place and wants us to be. And to get to that place, we have to continually be transformed and changed into that person that God wants us to be. And it really doesn't end to the day we die. God works in the small things in life. And if we think about the story today, God works in the small thing of this, this birth to this poor, unwed, teenage couple and God said you know what this is the place I want this redemption of chaos to begin this is the the place where I want to rebuild this relationship with humanity this is the place where where I want transformation and change to happen in the lives of people the birth of Jesus Christ maybe for you today you're brand new to this whole faith thing, and you're trying to figure out Jesus and God. And, and maybe your next step this morning is just to, to take a moment and just look at your life. Because here's my guess. God's been working in your life already. Now, there's a reason that you're here today. There's a reason that you showed up this morning. God's at work, and God's been at work. What was that moment that that began? Where did that transformation process start for you? begin to see how God has been working in your life. And maybe for you it's to take that next step, it's to grab that next stone. And maybe it's like, hey, I'd love to be a part of this church. I, I'd love to be baptized. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe that's the next step for you. For others of us in here, we're followers of Jesus. And here's my challenge to you this week. What's one thing you can do this week to begin to be a part of this process of transformation and change in somebody else's life? Maybe it's taking a meal to them. Maybe it's giving them a little bit of money. Maybe it's a phone call, an encouraging word. What is one thing that you can do and I can do to begin to transform the lives of other people and let God work through that process with them? What's that one thing? So my challenge for you is to begin to do that this week. Figure that out and then make it happen. God's love for us is amazing and it's beautiful. And it begins here with the birth of Jesus Christ. And God has a place for us to be. God has a role for us in this world that we have to continually allow ourselves to be changed and transformed by that love, by being focused on the birth of Jesus.
Because the birth of Jesus leads us to what we do here every single Sunday. It's this communion that we take together. It's the, the moment that we're reminded because of that birth, this redemption process started. And because of that birth, Jesus came and taught us how to live our lives. And because of that birth, Jesus died for us. But not only died, the best part of the story is he came back to life. And every Sunday we are reminded of that beginning and in some ways that ending, but then that beginning again of why we are here, why we are transformed, and the love that God has for each one of us. This morning as we take communion together, I want you to think about that in your life. Where are you in this transformation process? What is God doing in your life? Maybe today you just need to skip the communion time. You just need prayer. Our prayer team will be up here. Just come up here and pray with them. Maybe you're interested in baptism. We can talk about that now. We can talk about it at a later time. But, but maybe you just need to kind of catch your breath and think about where God is in your life. Wherever you may be, let this moment be another step in that transformation.